I'm Sherry Minnelli. And I'm Diane Downey. We're from EarthFriendlyHomeowner.com. And we love healthy soil, clean water, fresh air, and growing healthy food. We're inspired to help heal our local community as well as our planet. So today I'm joined by Paul Herzog. What's your title, Paul? I'm the National Coordinator for Surfrider Foundation's Ocean Friendly Gardens Program. Well, thanks for joining us. So can you tell us a little bit about Surfrider and the Ocean Friendly Garden Program? Uh, sure. Uh, Surfrider started this program now six years ago because we found that the number one source of pollution in the urban environment is coming from urban runoff. Sometimes it comes from agricultural runoff, but in urban areas, it's stuff that's happening every day, even on a dry day. People sprinklers are shooting into the street, washing cars, broken sprinklers, and that water picks up pollution and gets into a storm drain, that hole and a curb that you may see on your street. And it goes to a waterway like a river or a creek and then to the ocean untreated. And so we're surfing in it, fish are swimming in it, which we may be eating, on and on. And so we wanted to give our members uh, and volunteers a way that they could have an impact, a positive one, on solving that problem and not just wait for a change in government policy. And so Ocean Friendly Gardens was started. And uh, it really, it was very, just a very simple idea that your front yard is a source of that pollution. Like I just said, not just your landscape uh, irrigation, but also fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, all that stuff. And typically the water from our roofs are directed onto driveways and out to streets. And so not only are we generating runoff and, and picking up pollution, but we're wasting water that could be going into the landscape rather than importing water from far away. So it was really kind of a no-brainer. We should be doing this. And then also looking at other ways to do that, whether it's preventing, uh, you know, doing projects in the street as well, um, like cutting curbs and directing water into landscaping um, and on and on. So many easy solutions to do. Great. Um, so one of the questions that we get in the classes that we teach is that, um, I, but I don't live at the beach, um, so what has this got to do with me? Yeah, you know, we came up with a slogan, uh, apply CPR to your yard, conservation, permeability, and retention to revive our watersheds and oceans. People know about applying CPR to somebody when they're choking, and all of our waterways are choking on pollution wherever you are. It's not just the ocean. Um, and so this idea of CPR can be applied everywhere, and it really ought to be applied everywhere. Um, so if you live inland, wherever your, your home is, it's draining somewhere. So the technique applies everywhere, and the importance applies everywhere. Uh, it's not just at the ocean. That's where we focus because Surfrider's membership and user base is along the coast, but um, the principles apply everywhere. Cool, cool. And... Can you run through what the typical um, components of an ocean-friendly garden would be? Yeah, really simple. You know, think about when it rains, where does the water go? Um, so uh, it lands on a surface like a roof. And uh, imagine that you have uh, rain gutters and a downspout. Uh, up until recently, it's been city code that you have to direct that downspout onto your driveway, which is graded and sloped to go out to the street. So we tell people first is to evaluate your site. Where's that rainwater going? Why not direct it into the landscape so it can be a source of irrigation and prevent pollution? That's retention. Retain that water. 
and it's very simple to do by just slowing down that water, spreading it out, and let it sink in. And so you can do that by creating like a dry creek bed in your yard, something like you would see when you, if you go hiking in the hills, like a, like a stream, but mimic that in your yard. Um, a low area, maybe six inches deep, that kind of meanders and snakes through the property. Permeability is about soil that acts like a sponge. We want uh, using mulch from trees, um, and when plants drop their leaves, leave them there so that they can become that kind of mulch because that mulch helps to retain water. It feeds soil biology. It's the biology in soil that helps to filter pollution. It helps to hold on to water. helps to suck carbon out of the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas. And then C, for conservation, plants that are adapted to the climate. Um, those plants have adaptations. Their leaves are thick and leathery. They hold on to water or the color of their leaves reflects sunlight, so they stay cool. Um, they might also be small, like rosemary or lavender or cyanothus or other plants like that. So uh, CPR, very simple to apply. It really is actually a simpler way than a landscape that's flat and, and directs water off the site. I think these ups and downs and curves really create beauty and function to hold on to that water. So, Paul, have you got any examples of these ocean-friendly gardens from around the country? Yeah, there's examples from everywhere around the country. Surfrider has about 85 chapters that cover the coastline, and uh, they're like clubs. They're involved in doing work days, what we call garden assistance parties. It's kind of like Habitat for Humanity, but in the landscape. So we ask the, the host to come up with a design that meets our standards, uh, gather the materials by the day of the workday, um, engage their neighbors and friends and employees, and provide some food and drink and pay it forward. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, in Washington and the Seattle area, we've done uh, workday at a residence as well as a parkway, that area between the sidewalk and the street, and actually worked with another nonprofit um, that uh, wants to make it easier to pull a permit at City Hall um, because there was a problem with one of the parkway retrofits that was done years ago where it wasn't sloped correctly and the water ended up flooding the adjacent property and the city made it kind of harder to pull the permit, kind of clamp down. And so the idea was, hey, do a project working with the city to reassure them that the design would work well. Um, that, that other people could pull a permit easily. In Oregon, we've done projects uh, along the coast at Newport City Hall uh, and inland to uh, Portland, uh, where we've done a residence, and then down to Coos Bay, where we did a brewery, kind of an ocean-friendly beer garden, which I thought was really cool. In Northern California, we've done gardens at an engineering firm's parking lot in Eureka, uh, a school in San Francisco, and several parkways and many in Central California, uh, whether it's in Pacific Grove uh, or Pismo Beach, and in Santa Barbara, a park. It looks like a little, like a house, but it's actually a park and retrofitted that garden. Uh, working with the city, we got a grant from the state through the Whale Tail Fund. And that was done with a series of hands-on workshops working with G3, in which G3 uh, was both teaching, like this is what we're going to do, and then we actually go and do it in the landscape. So three different hands-on workshops led to the retrofitting of that garden, which was really awesome. And a lot of professionals learned about what to do and then implemented in their own profession. In Ventura, we did a curb cut project uh, where we actually cut the curb. 
and directed water into the landscape and worked with the city on a set of standards um, and hoping to see that adopted citywide and countywide. And in the Los Angeles area, working with a water district called West Basin, this water district got a state grant to do 15 different retrofits at public sites, fire stations, schools, uh, city halls, really exciting to work with the water district and so that they start to promote this and what they do. And then down into Orange County and San Diego. And in San Diego, it's really kind of the, the uh, a real major undertaking, something that's bigger than anything we've done around the country is we're part of a $1.4 million grant from the state, partnering with the city, the county, and the regional water authority, a nonprofit, and a private water retailer to do kind of a whole suite of tools, uh, residential education and hands-on training, professional training, and certification, recognition, I should say. Uh, and people are provided with incentives, like a buck seventy-five to take out their grass and convert it to an ocean-friendly garden. This is really kind of like the whole suite to transform the marketplace in San Diego. And again, working with G3 produced a really great guidebook um, that people can get to learn how to do it themselves. And then you move over to the East Coast uh, in Florida. Uh, we've actually done a garden at a zoo in Palm Beach, a middle school uh, in Florida as well in the um, kind of central part of Florida. And then we've done retrofits in South Carolina and Myrtle Beach. In North Carolina, it was a shopping center uh, in uh, the Wilmington area, which was really cool because this was uh, an area that was getting flooded and was contributing to pollution going into an area that uh, two creeks that are used, have historically been used for shellfishing. And uh, this is really part of an effort now that Surfrider's been involved with, working with the city and North Carolina State University. They worked on this project in an effort to really say, we need to get back to having shellfishing as an industry that people can, can trust, they can eat the fish, and it creates jobs. Uh, you work your way up to Virginia Beach. It was at a school uh, engaging a, a person who works with a, uh, um, um, in, in education at a, uh, at a local public facility. Um, and then in New Jersey uh, at a residence and in New York City, Manhattan area, uh, with a company called Loom State and a local ecology center retrofitting parkways in Manhattan, which uh, is essential in a very urbanized area. So you can see covering the, covering the coast um, and looking forward to doing projects in the Texas area as well as those chapters get up and, and running. So, Paul, tell me about this project in Hawaii that you guys were involved in. Yeah, the chapter uh, on Oahu has teamed up with uh, a permaculture uh, group uh, the permaculture group already has a workday uh, structure kind of like the, our garden assistance parties. They're called permablitz, get a job done in a day. And so this is going to be kind of an OFG permablitz. And it's really exciting because uh, people think about the Hawaiian Islands as just being really rainy and have plenty of water. But there are many areas, like in Oahu, that are very dry. And they really need to conserve water. And it's absolutely essential because it's sort of the goose that lays the golden egg in terms of uh, tourism. So um, this helps to protect that goose uh, uh, by preventing polluted runoff and uh, helps show that you can, that you can have both uh, a garden that prevents polluted runoff and also can provide food, um, which is a major focus of permaculture. So really great to see this, and it's a kind of thing that's 
Um, also being uh, done on uh, Maui, Surfire created a beautiful rain garden uh, at a beach park where people taking showers, you know, the water from the shower is just running off into the ocean. Same thing from the parking lot at the beach park. And so they created a garden there directing water from the parking lot and the shower into the landscape. Um, so you can see, again, it's, whether it's on the mainland or on the islands, this is the kind of approach that we want to take. That's really good. And just one other thing, I think so many of us have taken for granted that we could just dump any water we liked carrying whatever in it out to the ocean and it would be just fine and dandy. And the reality is that we, we can't do that. And actually, the ocean was never designed to take polluted water. Yeah, that's right. I think we talked about that, that, uh, you know, that it's really soil biology that is key to filtering pollution and that we also need to reduce whatever we're using in terms of generating pollution, whether it's washing our cars, better to take it to a car wash, uh, the soap that we use for our washing machines, definitely not using anything that ends in a side like pesticide. <clears throat> herbicides, fungicides, um, and also that, you know, really plants don't need the kind of commercial fertilizer that we use. Right. If anything, it's a little compost, and then the plant can take care of itself. Um, maybe a little bit different for vegetable gardens, but still compost is, is what the doctor ordered. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Work with nature, and it will work with us. And I think one, one last point I'd like to draw out from there is the whole aspect of carbon and where we should be putting our carbon. So right now we've got a surfeit of it in the atmosphere. We've got a surfeit of it in the ocean. And what we've been doing is destroying our soil in, in terms of its ability to hold carbon. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we all learned, uh, if we can remember back that far to um, middle school or high school that um, tree or plants absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they release that oxygen, allows us to breathe, and then the carbon is utilized by the plants to grow. And what they don't use, they um, exude or they secrete through their roots as a source of food for the biology in the soil, and the biology in the soil uh, returns the favor by providing the plants with plant-available food. And I think that uh, the research from what we've heard, G3 put on a great soil conference in February of 2015 uh, from experts around the world. And some of the research is showing that soil can absorb five times more carbon than the plants. They actually lock it up in the soil. Uh, and, and the power of microscopes is showing how they do that, that they actually can kind of glue themselves to soil particles so that that material doesn't just run off. And that we're changing the way, we need to change the way that we garden and farm, not ripping up the soil in between crops. Um, and, and farmers are going to become carbon farmers. We can actually compensate farmers for keeping that carbon in the ground. Um, sort of a back to the future practice before we had commercial fertilizers and huge machinery and farms that were thousands of acres that we farm this way. Yeah, so it's a combination of sucking that carbon out of the atmosphere, locking it up in soil, and reducing what we emit in the atmosphere, to the atmosphere, moving towards a less carbon-based energy portfolio. I think it's a good combination. How was the Ocean Friendly Garden Program taken by 
politicians and policymakers in the beginning and, and have you seen a change in their attitude now that you've been working on this for several years? Yeah, I think that the, um, the awareness is definitely growing about how this is, the Ocean Friendly Gardens is a simple solution to get a really big impact. Every region around the country has to comply with a federal law called the Clean Water Act, and that is implemented um, through regional stormwater permits, meaning when it rains, these regions have to address what is called the first flush, that first inch of rain, which is the most polluted after uh, we've had a dry period because of pollution built up on our roofs, on our streets, as I talked about earlier. And so that about 80%, um, well, we want to we focus on sort of the 80% of that first inch of rain. That's where the most pollution is. And so we want to get it in contact with soil so that it gets filtered um, by the soil biology. And so what we've been working with cities on is the idea of standards standards for doing a retrofit in a garden, meaning we have, a, we have guidelines on our website, oceanfriendlygardens.org, and it says this is how you build a garden. So we call them guidelines or criteria. They can be translated into what people might consider as a standard. This is how you do it. And so we're working with the city of Los Angeles, uh, their Department of Water and Power, to say that when people apply for and it, their, their existing turf removal rebate, that they don't just replace their grass with a different kind of plants and different irrigation and some mulch and then, you know, not worry about the rainwater. No, they should be thinking about that at the same time. And the city is very receptive to that because many people know California has been going through now a very long period of unusually dry weather. So, but they also have an issue of we have to clean up our waterways in the ocean. We also need to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. It's like you can deal with all these issues at once by having a set of standards. And so I think that's really exciting. You go up north to Ventura, we worked with the city on a standard for cutting a curb and directing rainwater into the parkway. And I think the city uh, really wants to see this kind of thing adopted, but they lack some of the technical expertise. And so it's great for Surfrider with companies like G3 to be able to do uh, educational training in the field and one-on-one uh, you know, -on -one in meetings with these city staff to reassure them that this is going to work. And frankly, some of the engineers that we work with just didn't get this kind of training in their schooling. So they're just not familiar with soil and, its, and, and biology, how it works. They need that reassurance. So, um, and then we see it all the way up to the state level. Uh, we've been involved in California on something called the California Urban Water Conservation Council. It's a statewide association of water, agency, water supply agencies and nonprofits. And, and connecting water supply agencies at the state level with water quality agencies, green waste reduction agencies, and so on, so that they take, an, again, this integrated approach. And I think we're seeing this now uh, statewide and all the way down that everybody's going to follow the same approach. Um, and in fact, maybe it won't be called ocean-friendly gardens. It'll be called the watershed approach because, like you said earlier, everybody lives in some sort of watershed where water flows from a high point to a low point and we want to be able to filter and utilize that water in between. So it doesn't really matter if the water is going to the ocean or to the river or to a bay or a lake, the same principles. And so we, with policy, we want standards. We want that common message. And then the other thing is we're seeing is a growing interest in workforce training. Uh, I mentioned that earlier, that people may be looking to somebody that they could hire. Uh, this is really key because 
cities are going to be asked this more and more, can you recommend somebody? And they're going to want to be able to refer to a list uh, that, where, they can, where people will be assured that, that the person who's been trained has got this training that helps meet these standards and that the city can, can say, yes, these people are doing what we want them to do. So I'm very excited by this, and I think we're going to see more policy change around the country. Right, and so a couple of things that come out of that, um, the EPA's Water Sense Certification, how does that play into um, this uh, training for professionals? That's a really good uh, point. Uh, yeah, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has a certification um, that, or recognition they call Water Sense, but that program is, is not as robust as we would like it to be. It, it largely focuses on irrigation products um, and some changes to the landscape. And, uh, but very interestingly, you know, they've shown greater interest in connecting with an initiative at a, a sister department on what's called green infrastructure, like ocean-friendly gardens, greening up our cities uh, so that uh, instead of channeling water away, we can take out some of that concrete and make it permeable and green. So I think we're starting to see agencies talk together. And I know that G3 recently um, received um, a, a cert uh, certification from US EPA for their uh, Watershed Wise Landscape Professional uh, training. And I think that what that's doing is both saying to the EPA, you know, why not adopt what G3 has done? They've created this integrated approach, and I believe of the six entities that have been recognized by the EPA, G3's is the only certification that is holistic and takes the watershed approach. So I'm hoping that this will influence US EPA to make their, their requirements more robust, and they can point to G3's training as an example. Mm -hmm. um, and then that can filter out nationwide so that everybody's following the same approach. So, uh, yeah, we want cities, counties, the state, and the nation, and the national government to be on the same page. That's really good. Okay, and you also mentioned um, stormwater and uh, the Clean Water Act. So what are your biggest concerns and what would be your best advice for the upcoming El Nino rains that were expected here in Southern California? Well, people can... Uh, if they haven't already got a, uh, their rain gutters uh, downspout directed into the landscape, they should do that. You can go to a hardware store and buy an extension for $15 and uh, get, that, get that downspout into the garden. Whether you have, you know, even if you just have grass there, we want to get the water into that, into the landscaping. But then I would say create an ocean-friendly garden. It's, it's the, the easiest and most effective way that they can be a part of a solution um, to that challenge. Um, for anybody that has a parkway, that, that area between the sidewalk and the street, that's something that I would recommend cutting the curb and directing water into that parkway area. Those are the two lowest cost solutions that we can do right now um, to help, help deal with it. So how easy is it to do a curb cut? You know, I think it's, uh, it, it's a simple concept. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be uh, – let's not say it's easy for the – average person to do, but they can hire somebody to do it. Because okay. uh, number one, you're going to need a permit. That means going to City Hall and asking them for a permit to cut your curb because um, that's public property. And right. uh, the other challenge you may find is the city may not be familiar with this idea because they've never done it before and they can contact Surfrider or G3 for assistance on that. Um, 
and we've got uh, examples from where we've done it that we can share with anybody listening to this to share with their city. But it's really a simple concept. You're taking a concrete cutting saw, which is used all the time, and you're cutting a notch out of the curb. We recommend cutting it at a 45 degree angle at about 18 inches wide. You remove that piece of concrete, sand down or chisel out the area that's been left behind so water can easily move from the street gutter into the parkway, and then you dig out a little basin um, and plant a tree or some landscaping. So I think it's relatively easy. But yeah, I think it's the idea, you know, hire somebody. They, they, they might have a concrete cutting saw or they'll go rent one at a big box store. Um, they have the other tools that they'll need to do it, and they can, they're probably familiar with pulling a permit at City Hall. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. And it may be that your city provides some incentive for doing this. Um, I don't know of any right off the top of my head, but it's a great thing that cities can start to do rather than having to invest in some big solution uh, at the end of a stormwater pipe down at the ocean, which is going to cost millions of dollars. Right. And one of the things I've noticed locally here in Southern California is that the city of Oceanside have done a really good job of implementing curb cuts in many of their public projects. So that's really heartening to see those curb cuts going in. Yeah. And in fact, we will probably see them more and more in new development and major redevelopment because there are uh, uh, guidelines and and, um, kind of suggestions in these stormwater permits. The big challenge we have is retrofitting existing development because there's no, typically not like a requirement to have to do it. So all these homes and commercial buildings, what we want really is to, is to go and reach out to them to say, um, you know, you can be a part of the solution. People spend a lot of money to live in, along the coast. Um, it's, it's the biggest generator of money in terms of recreation and leisure and uh, vacationing. Let's protect that investment. So I think what we want to do is use those city retrofits, like you said, in Oceanside as an example, and work with the city and the private sector, you know, to to go do what hasn't been done in quite a while, which is to do some door knocking, go to these businesses and say, we want to help you. And and give them the support, whether it's financial incentive, directing them to professionals, uh, and explaining to them why it's important. Right. And just to stay with... um Oceanside for just a minute and to uh, revisit the professional training that happened in Oceanside last September. Um, Can you tell us about the the rain garden project that we put put in uh, during that training? Yeah, the uh, I think it's it was really a great experience uh, to take uh, professionals that are in a classroom setting learning a lot of good material and say, hey, let's go apply it outdoors. And so this was a really high visibility corner uh, with really nothing going on in it. A few weeds, um, people pass by it all the time, just this kind of patch of nothing. And the rainwater from the building was directed onto a uh, hard surface out to the street, um, taking pollution from that building. Um, into the street and out to the ocean. And so this was a great opportunity to just say, hey, let's let's look at where that water's going. What would we do? And people that were in the training were like, hey, I know what to do. I just learned in the training. Let's apply it here. And then, okay, well, once the water's in the landscape, what do you do about it? Well, like we learned in the training, let's dig a swale so that water can be slowed down and spread out and sunk in the landscape. Okay, well, let's do that. So this is, a, a I think, what people have been asking for for a long time, which is, I don't just learn 
by listening in a classroom. I learn by doing uh, in the field and then going back into the classroom setting and talking about that. And in addition, in the training you've got all the different sectors there from land, private sector landscape professionals to the public sector to nonprofits to academia so that they're learning together and saying, hey, we could be working together. Why don't we continue to do that like we're doing here in the training? So I'm really excited by the idea that these trainings are not just for kind of technical training, but they're also training because they are building policy skills. They're teaching folks that normally are in their silos not working together to start to work together and apply that when they leave the training and do it in the, sort of in the real world. That's really great. So uh, what if I'm not a professional, I'm a homeowner, how can I get something similar, a similar kind of hands-on learning as I go type experience? Well, I think the first thing is getting educated um, so that you feel that you really understand, you know, why are you doing this? You've got a good grasp of it. And then you'll feel more comfortable with um, coming up with a design or working with a professional and coming up with the, uh, excuse me, the budget for what it's going to take to do the project. So do a little, a little planning right off the bat. There's great information, as I said, on Surfrider's website, oceanfriendlygardens.org, G3's website, greengardensgroup.com, and maybe others in your area, other environmental groups, nonprofits, cities, professionals. Uh, and in fact, uh, Surfrider and G3 have been involved in creating really simple to use guides, uh, one for LA County, another for San Diego, and I like them both. I think the one that was developed by, uh, for San Diego is even more extensive and really walks you through everything you'll need to know. And if you do not use it yourself, meaning you don't do the project yourself, you can show it to your professional and get a sense of who's right to hire. You can say, is this the kind of project guidelines that you're going to follow? And if they say yes, then you know that's probably the person you want to work with. Secondly, uh, I recommend volunteering with the Surfrider chapter uh, in your area. So you can learn by doing. You know, help others, and then you'll have a better sense about what, what can be done yourself. And after that or before that, if you decide, look, I'm just too busy, um, or I don't have an eye for this, I just, I'm not a visual person, um, I just want to hire somebody, that's fine. Do it. Uh, there's a list of professionals on G3's website. There are probably other lists in your area. Uh, I know, though, that those, those that are trained by G3 meet the kind of standards that I talked about earlier. So again, study up, participate, hire a professional. Um, those are all great ways to get involved. And in, when you're walking around your neighborhood, start looking around. Start to get a sense of what people are doing. Build your eye for seeing the ability to apply, to apply CPR. I mean, you'll find it's easier than you thought. All right. Um, so... How can people find out more? You've talked about the Ocean Friendly Garden website, but how can people find out more about Surfrider generally? Surfrider.org. All right. And uh, the Sustainable Landscapes Program in San Diego, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if people live locally, they can sign up for the classes and access the material. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell homeowners to help them move along this path? Uh, yeah, I think that just realize that um, you know our landscapes and our, uh, our front yard and backyard. If we took away the sidewalk and the street and our driveways, all of those landscapes would be connected. They would all be part of 
what we would think of as a natural environment, like when we go hiking or we go to beautiful national parks. And I think that we start to realize that we're stewards of this land in our front yard. And if you added up all the front yards in a typical city, they would be the single largest uh, land use in the city. So it's a big impact that people can have. They sometimes think, especially when thinking about climate change, like, wow, it just seems so large. What can I possibly do that will make a, a, a difference? But you'll be surprised. As you start to make change, people in your neighborhood will start to ask you questions. And in fact, we have a yard sign, and we'd love to put a sign in your yard so that you can start um, kind of being the change that you want to see other people uh, making themselves. So um, we'll help you to the degree that you want to be helped so that you can be an ambassador. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Paul, for talking with us today. It's really good information to get out there. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Earth Friendly Homeowner Podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on our website at earthfriendlyhomeowner.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and we would love for you to give us a review of the podcast.